You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Maggie Lake, and here with me today is Tony Greer, editor of the Morning Navigator newsletter. Hi, Tony. You today. Doing okay. You know, we had a, an interesting day as we watched it. A, a decline in U.S. housing starts, a softness there, gas prices finally cooling off at the pump. And we had U.S. stocks take off, putting in a strong rally. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the closing numbers in front of me, but we were up like, you know, two and two and a half on the Dow, three NASDAQ, three and a half on, on the Russell 5000. You know, as you as you look across this market action, you know, what do you what are you thinking about? How do you feel about it right now? You know, it's pretty fascinating to me, Maggie. You know, I think the market is finally reacting to last week's data, right? We 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 got CPI and PPI data that was worse than expected. Uh, it looked to me like market-based inflation gauges like break-evens and the curve and maybe even um, you know just flat price yields have gotten way ahead of themselves pricing in a near depression if not actual recession and you know when you get that data that comes out where the inflation is still worse than expected i think that caught the market off guard a little bit and for me, this bounce in, for example, five-year break-evens is something that is letting the market price in a little bit more risk right now. Now, when you look across um, positioning, like there was a great Goldman Sachs prime broker chart that was floating around the internet that showed positioning across futures, CTAs, and risk, risk parity was down to almost nothing. So everybody has blown their brains out on this sell-off and is probably gathering themselves and dusting themselves off and about to get on the exercise bike and figure out how they're going to get back in the game for the second half of the year. And when I see today Bitcoin and Ethereum leading the way in the risk complex, right, yeah. taking out the 50-day moving averages, those were the first things to take them out. And then today we see the follow-through in the equity market where – check out this list, Maggie – the S&P, semiconductors, triple Qs, XLK, the big tech ETF, internet stocks, the worst performing sector on the planet, transports, the Russell 2K, home builders, and retail, all notched closes back up above the 50-day moving average for the first time in months since the spell-off started. Excuse me. 
getting a little bit excited for the recovery rally. So as I see it, you know, this is the beginning of, whoa, portfolio managers may have blown their brains out, gotten a little bit short into the hole here, right? They come out of this position squaring whirlwind with a little bit of career risk where they're now down on the year, they're facing redemptions, they've got to figure out how to make the money back, like I was been discussing on Twitter with my man Cuppy. And now game theory comes into play, Maggie, right? Because after they dust themselves off and while they're on the exercise by trying to figure out where they're going to get back in this market, they're saying, okay, let's start with this. What's up on the year still? And that's a very simple answer. I don't even have to look anymore. There are only four or five sectors left standing on the year after that second Godzilla sell-off in two years that we just saw, right? They're all natural resources, energy, metals, and mining. And that's it. And that's it. As in, there are no other sectors left in the green on the year at all. If you're long Bitcoin, it's been halved. If you're long bonds, they're off 20%. Same with the S&P. And so now I think it's time for a retracement rally, Maggie. That's that's quite frankly what the screens are telling me. You know what? That That's so interesting, Tony. And this is why I, I love to ask you that sort of broad question because you have your trader hat on and you're not looking. And we'll, we have some charts. We'll get to them in a second. But you're really now talking about the sort of you know, animal animal behaviors of trading, you know, when you're talking about the psychology that sets in and it's important, it doesn't always rule the roost, but if we just break down what you said, so why is that second half of the year so important? And I love, I love the fact that you say they're back on the exercise bike. Maybe they're back on the Pelotons that were also worth like a fraction of what they were worth and the stock that, which was one of the ones that's really beat up. But why is it so important when you talk about them now chasing performance into year end? Well, Maggie, you know, every fund manager out there, including several that I widely respect, massively respect and speak to on a regular basis, they're down on the year. Yeah. Right. And they're they're struggling with what to do next. Right. We're, we're at a very pivotal, a very clear pivotal moment on the year. It's, it's it, in my opinion, Maggie. Right. We had this big market crash. Right. We had the Godzilla tick index print season where we had nine out of 10 days. We were registering these massive downside uh, tick index extremes. We had the VIX living in the mid 30s, around 30 for several weeks on end. And everybody got ahead, had to get ahead of this adjustment by the Federal Reserve. Right. They're going to be more hawkish. They're going to have to fight inflation. They're putting their flag in the sand. And it seems like they did it by engineering a recession in the markets. And like we said, a couple of, you know, I, I guess it was last over the last weekend, you know, we just got that recession wave through the media. And mm -hmm. I think people came in on Monday morning and maybe realized that that, you know, they're a little bit late on that call because markets are no longer following through on the downside. And now people are back to looking to hedge inflation on the dip because all the hedges are 30% cheaper. And they realize that only the only games in town that are working in terms of inflation hedges are carbon-based inflation hedges, right? Like, like Jeff Curry said on our Grant Williams podcast, uh, maybe two weeks ago, you know, the only inflation hedges that are working are the carbon-based inflation hedges. Fossil fuels and food, right? Gold not working, Bitcoin not working, silver not working. You know, so I think now that there's going to be, we're going to, you know, shift back to um, demand for hard assets again a little bit more. There may even be alongside that a 
retracement rally just based on market dynamics and technology because they've all, you know, literally been sold so hard. So, you know, I'm looking for a, a definitely a broadly based stock recovery after that, you know, disastrous two months we just lived through. And then we're going to see where it shakes out and take a fresh look. But I think the risk now is the risk now is that as portfolio managers game, you know, what sectors they can jump in on for the ride. You know, they look around and they've got all these choices now. They've got all the technology stuff trying to attack its first moving average. And they've got uh, natural resources from energy, metals and mining to, you know, uh, even um, certain food ETFs and food processing stocks and fertilizer stocks. All of it has pulled back into massive 200 D DMA support, massive trend support. And if you ask me when I make these, you know, if I had to make those decisions myself, those are the trades that I would take the market up on, especially when the market is offering a $3 backwardation carry trade in the oil markets staring me in the face. So if I want to start off with something, you know, like a nice ground green dot um, ski slope, something easy, I can get into oil and say, OK, the worst case scenario is I can make $3 a month rolling this thing out on the calendar and, you know, if I can't figure out how to position myself into the flat price rally, then I've really got a problem with that, you know, three to six dollar carry handicap. So the way I'm looking at it, you know, Maggie, the tightness, the backwardation offers a lot of opportunity to investors that are starting off with a bit of a cleared out pad. Yeah. You know, and so we have a chart. We have a chart of WTI, West Texas Intermediate, as they call it, um, that you put up and you can see it's kind of been all over the place. I mean, you see this, what's been happening lately, which is everyone having their head spin. So when you say when you when you say you like that, first of all, you're getting that three dollar because of the way the futures contracts roll over. Right. You're getting right. you're getting a premium because of that. Yep. That's the backwardated shape of the curve again, Maggie, where the front month is premium to the rest of the months behind it. So as you're in the front month at say $104 in August crude oil and August is about to roll off the board, you're now rolling into a $101 contract, right? And with conditions remaining the same, you have to like your chances of that contract depreciating because that's what the curve does, right? It rolls off the highest price on the board every month. So that that's something that, you know, the, the any commodity investor can start off with and start at least with a positive carry trade. So that, that should explain that for you. And I think the most important part of that scenario, just to, to bounce off of that chart, for example, spreads close the day today, even tighter than they were when I made up that chart several hours ago. So the big tell in the commodity markets was we had this massive sell-off in oil from 120 down to 90 bucks, and the entire curve came down with it. Mm -hmm. Front month structure was, you know, front month spreads were still $3. The calendar is still $20 something. And everybody in the physical markets is looking around and saying there are physical markets trading above Brent and WTI all over the place. So the premiums are still there. Diesel markets are still tight and overwhelmingly bid. So this is the stuff that works its way through the market, Maggie. And I, I really believe that we can see a sort of return to that great rotation where we start seeing natural resources outperform again. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Right. So, okay. So this was a temporary pullback and an opportunity for you. By the way, a, a headline out in the energy space that uh, TC Energy had to reduce operations at Keystone Pipeline because of some power outage at South Dakota, which which actually looks like it was intentional. But at the pumping station, you know, Keystone, major pipeline. You and I have talked about the importance of pipelines, refining some of the, you know, all of this adding that under years of underinvestment, adding to pressure in the market. Is that a first on that headline? Is that a temporary situation or is that could that linger and put even more pressure on the supply side of the equation that you watch so closely? I have to read further into that, Maggie, and I, I'm assuming that has to do with this explosion at the Hoover Dam. Yeah, I th- well, it was South Dakota. Yeah, I think so. And I didn't read all the way into it, but I see Keystone Pipeline reduced, uh, you know, reducing it. And given all the pressure we see on supplies, um, okay, so you know, it's, it's, it's just one sto- more. Got it. It's just, That's a separate story. I would have to look that up. Um, Right. Okay. So then talk to me. So we'll, we'll, we'll circle back on that. Talk to me about, um, how you're thinking about the supply side versus the demand side, given the fact that we have all these concerns about recession. Well, we just priced demand to zero. We just, we just priced demand to an economy literally stopping dead in its tracks and not moving. But th- what we just priced in is well beyond um, a recession because a recession is just a couple of negative quarters of GDP growth. Nobody stays home during a recession, right? Nobody stays home from vacation. Nobody stays home from work. Nobody cancels their trip. And, you know, everything is just becomes a little bit more of a struggle. That's how I felt things before, right? Mm-hmm. So in as much as we're still going to continue with, you know, global gasoline demand that has been on the rise, um, as long as we're going to deal with tight markets, as long as we're going to deal with elevated crack spreads, which showed, you know, really elevated gasoline demand, that's going to tell the story, Maggie. And I don't believe that the story has ever been that we're going into a recession. The only thing that seems to say that is the yield curve, in my opinion. Right. There's no way that the economy changed as fast as the rate of change on the screens that just happened. Right. We just repriced oil 30 percent in about three or four weeks. I don't think the economy moves that fast, but the Fed needed the economy and the markets to feel like it was moving that fast to take the pressure off of the inflation gauge. Mm -hmm. Right. Maggie, they're managing optics best they can. And maybe even if they use the president's working group to spill some crude oil out into the markets, you never, never know. And at the same time, they will probably have to go out and buy that back. You know, they're going to continue to release the SPR. There's going to be continual attempts um, that the Biden admin is trying to take credit for lowering the price of gasoline. You know, I know that um, gas at the pump finally ticked a little bit lower to 450 a gallon. So that's a positive tailwind for the economy and the markets right now. Right. I think because we just priced in all this economic destruction. And so I don't I don't I feel like the market has got several weeks of retracement on the upside and it may retrace half of this entire slide. Um, That's the way bear market rallies often go. But I am pretty much positioned now for that rally, and I'll be looking to get out of it as soon as we head towards resistance levels, Maggie. I'm here to yeah. trade this thing, not marry. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Tony. And I know that your perspective is that of a trader, you know, so important to sort of put that in there. You know, you just brought up a really, really great point, though, about recession. 
right? We haven't had them in a while. We haven't been talking about them. And so what they look like and the idea that everything goes to absolute zero, that like, you know, maybe we are sort of mixing it in with what it felt like when we were in lockdown. Um, and, and, you know, is that accurate? There's a lot of debate that there's like a macro tug of war, I think, over whether there will be a recession, but maybe more importantly, how deep it'll be, what that means for inflation. Um, Marco uh, Papik caught up with Chen Zhao, the chief global strategist at Alpine Mark, uh, Macro. rather, and, and here's where he landed on the recession question. And he, he addressed this very thing we're talking about. Let's have a listen. By observing where the real income is, it's almost inevitable that you're going to have a period of pretty, uh, pretty weak consumer spending. I don't know when, to be honest. I don't want, I want, to, don't want to pretend that I know. I think sometimes next year. That's why I think we, we will go into a recession. But I don't think it's a, a financial crisis-driven recession. It's pro- probably more of a run-of-the-mill recession because the rates are rising too The rate, rate has been lifted too high. The income growth is not going to be there, and people tend to save a little more and spend a little less, and then you're going to have a contraction in economic activity. That full interview is available to all our members on the website, and they talk a lot about China as well. Really, really interesting discussion. So, Tony, you know, how deep is it going to be? What does it look like? You pointed out that a lot of the recession talk has come up around the behavior of bonds, of the yield curve. Let's put that chart. You mentioned it briefly about the break-even five-year. Um, for those who may not be familiar with this, why are you watching this closely? What is what what is this telling you? So, the break-even five-year is the measurement of inflation expectations, right? Their break-evens across the curve to fives, tens, everything. Um, What it tells you is how much inflation the market is expecting. It is the yield plus the inflation rate for that period. It looks to me like they've sort of, you know, we sold them off from 3.8% to a low of 2.4%, right? That is a massive chop in that interest rate. So at this point, if you chart it, you get to levels where you say, okay, this thing looks oversold. It's into really, really longstanding support. This looks like where we may level off in terms of inflation expectations. And if you remember that the five-year break-even is really that sort of security that for me was driving the bus during the whole you know, lockdown recovery rally and retracement rally from the bottom of March 2020, um, as the market realized that there was going to be more potential than sort of maybe the politicians were leading on to about the coming out of the lockdown and the restart of the economy. So now I just feel like it's a similar situation where market-based inflation expectations got priced to depression. The economy's not really there. We come out and get inflation readings that are worse than anybody expected. So there's been, you know, we haven't reached a high watermark on our inflation readings yet, and that may still be ahead of us. Mm-hmm. So I think that market players are looking at it like, okay, you know, I've, I've already got out of all of my stocks that I was long. I'm sitting here waiting for this recession to happen. And now all of a sudden energy prices ran into massive support level and structure is firm and they're rallying. So maybe the economy really isn't that bad. There has to be some demand driving that structure of the crude oil markets. And so I think that that's what's just shining through. It's definitely getting some help from the dollar. The dollar index has backed off quite a bit. Um, the euro had a psychological oversold bounce off of par um, that Jared Dillian called really nicely, I think, as the czar of sentiment. 
But we, you know, sentiment gets negative down there. You run into a massive psychological support level and everybody tries shorting it for the follow through into the 90s. You don't get that follow through. And then there's a short covering rally. Yeah. So that's at least breathing a little bit of life back into base metals. And I think the bond markets are seeing that, that base metals finally stopped going down. Break even stopped going down. The curve seems to have stopped going down. And all of this trade lower was such a steep reaction to the Fed that, you know, I really believe that the the retracement spike out of here is going to be pretty steep across the risk complex, Maggie. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because the stronger it is, the longer it lasts. We're going into that Fed meeting next week. And yeah, as you said, it's going to that in, in if it sort of gains momentum, runs counter to what the Fed's trying to do which is kind of take take some of that steam out. I want to get to a question, Tony. John Kay asking, um, can you chat about grains and ags? So you're bullish on on the commodities and on the rotation. How, how do you feel about grains and agricultural uh, commodities? Do we carve those out at all? Do, are you When you say commodities, you're th- thinking just oil and energy? No, I want to stay bullish grains. It's it's a lot harder to, for me, actually. You know, some of the charts have been broken. You know, it, 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 you know the Fed literally with this, sort of um, pricing in less inflation and an economic slowdown, et cetera, et cetera. They really did a number on some of the um, commodities. But the bottom line is, I think um, they're all coming back. Maggie, lead me back into the question that you just asked. I just had to read something and I lost my train of thought. Yeah, it just about uh, uh, grains and agriculture. Oh, grains. Sorry, you know, sorry like, about that. Yeah, yes. yeah. I'm good. Sorry about that. Grains, uh, the grain market should you know, it, as energy is a third of the cost of pulling grain out of the ground, it should remain, you know, the, the bull trend should remain intact. What has been unbelievable to me as has been the way the price of wheat was set back. You know, wheat has already been set back to the price it was before the Russia-Ukraine invasion. So I quite honestly didn't think that a pullback that steep was even possible. So that sort of, I guess, reset my expectations on grain bullishness, if that's allowed. Right. I, I carried a grain position for a long time. It was really profitable. We ran into that commodity sell off. Um, I had a huge pullback from my high watermark P&L, got out of the trade um, with a with a profit still, which is fine with me. And now I'm trying to decide what to do with it. But what I've decided to do is change my expression of that trade from being long grains to being long fertilizer. And it's really just because I don't have as much confidence in buying grain as a commodity anymore because of the slide that it just went through post-Fed. I do have a little more confidence in trying to buy the fertilizer charts, which are now a direct offshoot of natural gas, which has gotten back on its feet again, while all of these fertilizer names are into support. So I have to say I've been a little bit baffled by grain prices just by virtue of not being a true expert. And I'm still positive because I can't get anywhere close to even neutral energy from being bullish energy right now. So if we do, if, if I'm right and the energy picture does recover, I would imagine that grains catch a bid too. But like I said, I'm just not as confident as I was before the Fed dismantled them this time around. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, great question, John. Thank you for asking it. Um, you just mentioned natural gas, so I'm going to skip to No One Knows Thyself, YouTube, asking um, what's your outlook for natural gas in the U.S.? A little bit more specific here, and since I already tortured you about the um, the headline that I read right before I came on um, about the Keystone. Also, they're also asking about the opening of the Freeport, Freeport Terminal. Will it allow spreads between the EU and U.S. natural gas price to equalize? Not sure if you're drilled down on the Freeport Terminal, but at least give us your outlook for natural gas. Yeah, it, it sounds like the Freeport Terminal, um, the, the last headline I saw was that it may be coming online slightly earlier than expected, which would be a bearish natural gas headline, which I believe already took hold. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was what set natural gas back from 760 to 720 or so. Um, you know, it wasn't a collapse. It was just a sort of consolidation. Um, structure there remains firm. Europe continues to try to, to build storage, but instead of paying the high prices that are elevated right now, they've begun drawing on their storage over in Europe. So that paints a bullish picture across the pond. And on this side of the pond, I think that we're still probably at low natural gas inventories. Um, spreads remain firm like i said and you know technically speaking it seems like the risk to that trade is still to the upside if you ask me mm-hmm. it's still it's still that there would be sort of an unknown pressure put on europe first you know that it could very easily lead you know if natural gas ttf explodes you know two or threefold from here from elevated levels in europe natural gas in the U.S. is not going to stand still, regardless of what goes on with Freeport. So it's probably going to get dragged higher in sympathy. And I think that's probably the right direction for now. There's still an attack on supply. Supply remains tight. You know, we're still talking about, you know, how we're going to generate all the baseload power we need. And we continue to see, you know, facility disruptions. Let's just just call it that until we drill down into the details Mm -hmm. of some of the stuff that came out today. So, it's it's hard to it's hard for me to get bearish energy or anything in the commodity space right now, Maggie. Especially having survived this dip that we just survived, yeah, and looking like they're coming out the other side with a little bit of uh, tailwinds. We have a lot of questions about Russia and you know their storage capacity. If they shut down uh, Nord Stream One, can they can they basically store enough and not have to reopen it? And also about European nat gas storage capacity, um, how much, you know, is that that a space you're watching, Tony? I mean, I've got my eye on the natural gas story in Europe for sure. You know, I'm watching the prices more carefully, quite honestly. That's the stuff that tells the story for me. But, you know, I think that we touched on it as much as we need to touch on. You know, nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, there was there was uh, headlines that went around today that there was a test of the Nord Stream pipeline. So maybe this is just Russia playing games because the whole world has essentially discounted Russian flows coming back on to Europe as the IEA warned Europe might happen. Um, I think that as the world does that, maybe, you know, Putin tests the taps or something and says, yeah, you know what, let's see if this is working this way. If they want to pay me in rubles for gas, they have the opportunity to. So, you know, if the sanctions remain, he may decide to just keep the taps off entirely and let them fend for themselves. And I would imagine that the story's coming out of it until uh, until the pumps reopen are just kind of misdirection and and um, kind of static, if that's fair. 
Yeah, no, it's totally fair. And it is really hard to get an accurate read on what's going on because we just don't have any information from Russia, which is why I wanted to sort of put that caveat before I I asked you about it, because it is really tough. But thank you all for the questions, because it's important. It's important space to watch. But that's really um, one that we're all going to have to track and, and really be careful until sort of when we see it. Fact is going to trump any sort of speculation on that for sure. Um, Tony, earnings season is coming. So we got this we got this sort of bounce back today. Look strong. Um, but we are kind of going into the earnings season. Netflix, I don't know if it's out yet. It's coming out. If it's not uh, not already out, that's a big one everyone's looking at. But we're going to start to hear from all these corporations. There has been little snippets of people getting pretty conservative with their hiring, if not starting to, you know, have a little bit of layoffs, trying to get ahead of what's coming, which is unusual. You don't always see that. We've got worries about the dollar, although, as you said, backed off a little bit. You know, does it feel like this is going to be hard to get through the earnings season or are we just so oversold that, you know, maybe we'll be able to get through it and keep some kind of rally intact? Earnings season is never a picnic. No. Right. There, there, you know, you'll have major single stocks that are, you know, major portions of ETFs um, firing off in every direction. It gets really, really hard to get a good read on the tapes rotation during those times. Um Going into this earnings season, I'm sure that we're going to hear an entire chorus of of CEO caution, um, definitely about hiring, definitely about expenses, definitely about inflation, definitely about the supply chain. Um, You know, none of that stuff has gone away. And no matter what the Fed says or does, you know, we're still looking at double digit inflation and one and three quarter percent Fed funds, where in the 80s we had to get Fed funds to 13 percent before we got inflation to back off. So if the world thinks that the Fed is going to be able to wave this magic wand at every FOMC meeting and scare the markets into backing off, I think that that is definitely not going to be a consistent case or a consistent ability on the part of the Federal Reserve. I still think that the markets are strong enough and tight enough and that the economy is not that week that it can all come back barking. And it seems like that's what we've gotten started here. Yeah. Tony, do you think that bond yields have peaked? No, I don't. I think that we're going to get they're They're going to back up and make another run at the highs, to be quite honest with you. I think it will take um, continued and persistent commodity inflation to wear down the bond market and and sort of get rates higher. And I think that that'll be a total battle the entire way. Um, You know, it seems like that the Fed is really bent on creating this slowdown scenario and you don't really want to be fighting the Fed too hard. But this is a scenario where the commodities are telling you maybe that it's okay to fight the Fed because they're not giving up the fight. You know what I mean? When oil backs off $30 and nothing about the calendar changes, that's the market sending me a message that we have to trade on. You know, that that's there's nothing other than that. And so now that it's panning out exactly the way we sort of drew it up on, you know, last week into Monday, this entire turnaround through the weekend, this is the way that I'm going to start leaning hard. But earnings season is going to be a bitch, Maggie. It always is. You know, you never know what they're going to withhold. You never know what they're going to come out with, what the new risks are going to be. Um, My guess, though, is that it doesn't matter quite as much as where we are in the broader dynamic of this retracement trade. So I think that the market is going to be strong enough on its own to, you know, maybe we see some companies come in lower after earnings. And that might be a buy just given the state of the tape right now. 
and that everything is already washed out and people are blown out of their positions. And that last S&P dip that we saw was really just a dry heave. We never got towards the lows. We turned around and recovered moving average resistance. That is powerful as could be to me, Maggie. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We're talking about portfolio managers now having, looking at returns, trying to sort of position themselves. Um, It seems like when you, you know, there's there's a fund manager survey, I think, out from Bank of America today, and they seem so negative. Are they saying one thing and doing another? Or are they just backward looking? You know, I think that is from May. So, um, or is it retail driving this? Because everyone's kind of looking for the bottom in the turn. What, what's your sense of who's actually, what's actually going on and how, how sustained it can be? I think portfolio managers have gotten hurt. I think retail has gotten massively hurt. I think they've I think that flows indicate that at the very least portfolio managers have probably continued with the same deflationary strategy that they've been trading on for 15 years and they said you know what we're going to buy this dip in tech and we're going to sell this rally in commodities and we're going to expect rates to go back to zero and we're expecting no growth in the US And I just don't see that scenario panning out, not on this side of lockdown. I still think there's too much upside economic pent up momentum, even even two years later, quite honestly. Um, I feel that like socially and and when I travel and things like the world is quite bustling. So it's it's hard for me to price in any kind of a slowdown, especially one the one that's been priced in on the screen. So I'm I'm back to the made of mode of uh, of fading that and, and looking for the commodity strength underlying to shine through Maggie. Fantastic. Great. Great to get your insight today, Tony. Um, Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope that was helpful. We're trying our best, Maggie. Yeah, that's right. That's it's a tough market. It's a tough market, but um, always helpful to hear, you know, um, from from folks like you are kind of watching all of the different aspects of it, uh, including that, including that psychology. It's always the hard one to pin down. But thanks so much, Tony. Um, That's it from us today. Thank you all for the great questions. As usual, Uh, we'll be back same time tomorrow. Andreas Steno Larson is going to be here with Harry Melandri. So be sure to tune in for that. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.